Hello and welcome back to Ethically Sourced. This is a supplement to the Black Doctors podcast. Here, I try to provide some information and actionable items that can actually impact and improve the care that we provide to our patients. We have a little bit of feedback. Uh, One of the listeners, Samantha, wrote an email, very considerate and thoughtful of you. Thank you so much for doing that. Just stating that she really appreciated the discussion I presented on informed consent and how she has incorporated some of those aspects into the discussions that she has with her patients when consenting them for different procedures. So, Samantha, thank you so much for that feedback. Um, um, Definitely encouraging to hear that these uh, podcast episodes are helping folks out there. This episode is going to reference a topic that I've received a couple of emails and Instagram messages about, basically laying down the groundwork for some social media guidelines for healthcare professionals. So the American Medical Association has uh, a journal of ethics and and a code of ethics as well that actually reference responsible use of social media. It's hard to believe that we're coming up on almost 20 years since Facebook came into existence. I remember being in college and having to, you know, put in your school name and sign up for a Facebook account and it wasn't even available for everybody. You know, every school didn't have Facebook when it first rolled out. But now we've got so many different social media sites and it's uh, a new world to navigate and a new resource and tool if used responsibly, but it can definitely be a liability if used irresponsibly. The key thing about social media is it's about both the when and the where. It's what you're sharing, um, your audience, the time at which you're sharing, and what you're actually saying. You know, everything that you post, once it leaves your fingertips, it's it's available for eternity, essentially. So this episode, we'll look at social media use from a physician standpoint. We'll also look at some guidelines for how we can remain professional on social media and things that we should consider. And then I'll touch on a couple of things for medical school applicants and residency applicants and pretty much everybody who's applying for jobs. But especially when you're first starting out, your social media can definitely play a role and and make or break you. According to the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics, the internet has created the ability for medical students and physicians to communicate and share information quickly and to reach millions of people easily. With great power comes great responsibility. So participating in social networking and other similar opportunities can support physicians' personal expression and enable individual physicians to have a professional presence online. This helps to foster collegiality and camaraderie within your profession. It can provide opportunities to provide public health messages and other healthcare-related communications. These social networks, blogs, and other forms of communications online also create new challenges to the patient-physician relationship. As physicians, we should always weigh, as physicians and clinicians, rather, we should always weigh a number of considerations when maintaining our online presence. First of all, physicians and providers should be cognizant of standards of patient privacy and confidentiality that must be maintained in all environments, including online, and they must refrain from posting identifiable patient information online. This is a somewhat of a broad statement, but different things that can allow a patient to identify themselves online. For my personal practice, if I think a patient can determine that I am referring to them 
in a post, I do not post that information. Things like posting the same day of a procedure or posting a unique procedure or a rare procedure, a patient could look at that online and identify what happened and that they were the, the party involved. When, when and if you're posting pictures online, um, I know that that's pretty popular in a lot of the different uh, social media medical education forums, identifiable marks, whether they're moles, tattoos, different structural features of a patient's body, you should take interest and take care to de-identify these pictures. First, you should think about whether this truly needs to be shared. There's already a wealth of similar photos out there on the internet that you could post that are de-identified already. So do you honestly need to share this picture? Um, And if so, and you choose to, make sure you do your part to de-identify whatever it is you're posting. Providing specifics, again, can help people narrow down exactly who you're talking about. Also, take into account when you're posting, because that can, uh, can lead to additional information being shared that shouldn't be shared. When using social media for educational purposes or to exchange information professionally with other physicians or clinicians, follow ethics guidance regarding confidentiality, privacy, and informed consent. So... Honestly, the safest way to go about this is to discuss with your patient, is it okay if I share this image online? Tell them how you'll be using that image. Is it okay if I share with a colleague this clinical question that you have or these lab findings or this picture of an EKG? That would honestly be the safest way to proceed. And all of this is under the umbrella of whatever institutional policy is in place for sharing content to social media or sharing patient information between clinicians. When using the internet for social networking, physicians should use privacy settings to safeguard personal information and content to the extent possible, but should realize that privacy settings are not absolute and that once on the internet, content is likely there permanently. Physicians should routinely monitor their own internet presence to ensure that the personal and professional information on their own sites and, to the extent possible, content posted about them by others is accurate and appropriate. You know, depending on what you do for work, you may or may not have your own website, you probably have a LinkedIn account, you probably have Facebook and and Instagram, and, you know, you need to kind of monitor that information. I don't honestly monitor it because I don't think there's too much out there about myself, but as I record this episode, I will probably log on and and search myself and see what's out there. Um, If you interact with patients on the internet, you should maintain appropriate boundaries and maintain that physician-patient relationship in accordance with the usual professional ethics guidances, just as they would in any other context. I know recently out west, there was a psychiatric nurse practitioner who exchanged a lot of informal, I think it started out formal through a uh, provider-patient relationship and then became more personal and eventually became intimate. I think the patient ended up per- performing some manner of self-harm. And all those text messages and, and external communications were revealed in the court document. So obviously an egregious breach of these ethical standards and concepts. So again, make sure you maintain appropriate professional boundaries Um, you should consider separating your personal and professional content online. As an anesthesiologist, you know, I don't have too much um, discrete uh, professional content, you know, between myself and patients that I may or may not have. So I generally use my one professional Instagram account. 
and I have a private Facebook account and that has worked pretty well so far for me. I'm not actively recruiting patients to my practice, but for other physicians, whether you're surgeons or other clinicians, you know, that may be more pertinent to you and your practice where you're actually recruiting patients. The AMA Code of Ethics goes on to to recommend that when physicians or clinicians see content posted by colleagues that appears unprofessional, you have a responsibility to bring that content to the attention of the individual so that he or she can remove it and or take appropriate other actions. If the behavior significantly violates professional norms and the individual does not take appropriate action to resolve a situation, the physician should report the matter to the appropriate authorities. This is huge because so often these things occur and as individuals, we can act to change the system and change the course of one's actions. Situations like Dr. Death, who was operating as a neurosurgeon who was impaired and causing harm to patients. If fellow clinicians had spoken up earlier, patients would not have been harmed. And I use it as an example, but as you see colleagues that are posting online, you know, we each have our own thresholds of what we consider offensive, and that's something to consider. Some people are more easily offended than others. Some people are offended by different things, whether it's politics, religion, sexual orientation, race, creed, color, ethnicity. Understand that it's a, it's a tricky subject to navigate, but when you see something that you consider egregious, if it's going to keep you awake at night, if it's going to bother your conscience please consider taking it upon yourself to reach out and politely discuss that with a colleague. It'll depend on how close you are to that that colleague. Is this somebody that's in your group that you practice with every day? Is this somebody out in town that refers you patients? Is this somebody in a rival group that you never, ever interact with? And depending on your level of, and, and the strength of your relationship and the level of your concern, consider discussing that with that individual and depending on what they are posting you know that could possibly need to be escalated to additional authorities physicians and providers must recognize that actions online and content posted may negatively affect their reputations among patients and colleagues and they may have consequences for their medical careers this is especially true for physicians in training and medical students What we post can undermine the public's trust in the medical profession. In 2013, the American College of Physicians and the Federation of State Medical Boards together issued guidelines on medical professionalism. They explicitly stated that their guidelines are meant to be a starting point and they will need to be modified and adapted as technology advances and best practices continue to emerge. They recommend that the use of online media can bring significant educational benefits to patients and physicians, but may also pose these ethical challenges. Maintaining trust as a profession and in patient-physician relationships requires that we consistently apply ethical principles for preserving the relationship, confidentiality, privacy, and respect for persons to online settings and communications. Some further things to consider. What is the intent of the online conversation you're holding? How will you use social media for educational benefit? Will you be able to, and how will you be able to maintain the public's trust in your profession? How will you maintain confidentiality? And how would you handle emergent or urgent situations that may arise and come to you 
via social media communications. The boundaries between professional and social spheres can blur online. Physicians should keep these two spheres separate and conduct themselves professionally in both spheres. You should ask yourself, is your professionalism, is it an identity or is it a persona? How much is okay to self-disclose about yourself to your patients? Can you keep your professional self and your social self separate online? And how do you accomplish this? When it comes to communications, email or other electronic communications should only be used by physicians and clinicians in an established patient-physician relationship and with patient consent. Documentation about patient care communications should be included in the patient's medical record. Usually when patients are applying to a new practice or onboarding at a hospital, in the admissions documents they sign, there is something to the effect that they agree to online communication or don't agree to online communication. So typically the hospital systems already have that form on record. If you are in your own private practice, it's definitely something to consider to make sure that you have available for your patients. Other things to consider is what is your plan for when patients request to connect with you on social media? And what is your plan for when you are asked medical questions online? These recommendations go on to say physicians should consider periodically self-auditing to assess the accuracy of information available about them on clinician ranking websites and other sources online. Again, this doesn't really apply to myself in my field. I, I hope not. I don't know what's out there for me. Again, I should probably check this and I will after this episode. Um, but other things to consider is how do you portray yourself and how are you viewed online? Is representation of who you are accurate and have you been misrepresented or are you misrepresenting yourself? You know, this calls into play a lot of concepts that are continuing to evolve and what is professionalism. In the last year, we had the uh, Med Bikini incident where that r- ridiculously egregious paper was, was published and met appropriate outcry among the Med Twitter crowd and, and folks on social media. Because as we progress, the field of medicine is, you know, starting to become more open. We're starting to become more accepting of people from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different sexual orientations, wearing tattoos. Is that okay? Piercings. When, where, how many? What's your hairstyle? What's your hair color? Is it okay to have a beer in public or have pictures of yourself drinking? All those things are being called into question and rightfully so and we're fortunately moving forward on what we consider professionalism in our community for myself i think about my patients if i am okay with my patients seeing me do x y or z online and then seeing me the next morning in the hospital then i will continue to go ahead and post that Uh, but if what you're doing could possibly in your assessment erode your patient's trust in you you should probably reconsider doing that and or at least uh, posting that, posting evidence of that. The final recommendation they had is that the reach of the internet and online communications is far and often permanent. Physicians, trainees, healthcare providers, medical students should all be aware that online postings may have future implications for their professional lives. Things to consider, if you're growing, we're all growing up in a digital age and we're living our lives online. So how will this permanence of our internet presence impact our future careers? Can we tip the balance towards a beneficial impact versus a harmful impact? Is it possible to delete former versions of your self-representation online? Should you do this? And again, 
will we become more accepting of personal growth and change online? I'm going to talk specifically for trainees, for people applying to medical school, for folks applying from medical school to residency, and pretty much anywhere in between, if you're applying to jobs even, how social media can affect your application. There's kind of the elephant in the room. In a perfect world, your private life is not going to be held against you as you apply for different jobs. Unfortunately, we obviously know we do not live in a perfect world, and some institutions may elect to scour and search the interwebs and find out all they can about their applicants. This is from the Association of American Medical Colleges, and they posted this on their blog. Do admissions committees and employers really look at applicants' social media accounts? The answer is, of course, yes. Some do search for applicants online. Every student and every applicant should assume that admissions committees do look up applicants online and sometimes can come across information about people that can either help or hurt a candidate. Can information about me online be considered in the admission or job application process? Again, another obvious yes. Researching a candidate online is like an informal background check. It is legal, and any information found can become another factor considered in an admissions decision. However, an applicant should not make the assumption that everything online is necessarily bad and should be removed. Some things you are proud of you want to put forward on your application. Some things that you feel strongly about, perhaps it is keeping your your locks or your certain hairstyle, or promoting and, and being vocal about your sexual orientation, your ethnicity, where you stand on social issues. If that is you through and through, and you are perfectly willing to stand by that, um, come what may, then, then leave that out there. Because you wouldn't want to end up at a job or a medical school or a residency program that does not value your values. For me personally, you know, when I was applying to medical school and when I was applying to residency, I had a nice, you know, fade or Caesar or whatever. They, I'm not a, I don't really go to the barber that much. Um, but I had a nice low cut professional air quote haircut because I did not want any of that to be held against me. I aspired to the um, you know, European standards of professionalism. However, after I was in residency for uh, about a year and a half, I grew my hair out, I freeformed locks, grew a beard, and was able to be more expressive of myself. I thought that was very important for me to be myself. I thought it was important for my patients on the south side of Chicago to be able to see and identify with me and and realize that not all Physicians look the same, and not all black physicians look the same. So it's something that I was able to do um, once I'd already got my foot in the door. So I am not here to pass judgment on anybody. I think it's all a personal decision for uh, what you choose to do. I have some fantastic colleagues that you know wear earrings in your ears. I don't have any earrings. Um, most of that's how I was raised, and now at the young age of 33, I have no desire to get my ears pierced. Um, when it comes to tattoos, again, it's an individual decision. I have a couple tattoos. I decided to get them in places that I could easily cover up. And I don't regret the decisions. I, I think they were all appropriate. But I think we all need to come to, to an agreement and figure out what works for you and stand by your decision and feel empowered in the decision that you choose to make. 
but but I, I digress back to uh, online social media use. What are some of the things that might negatively influence people? Again, these are all matters of perspective. Um, obviously, anything that's illegal, though, is, is frowned upon. Anything that shows poor judgment, discriminatory comments related to race, religion, or gender, sexual orientation can hurt you, as it should. Some uh, a student quoted here, I heard of a student posting pictures of Confederate flags, calling it an example of Southern pride. But this calls into question that student's sensitivity to the struggles of African Americans in this country and causes admissions committees to question a student's judgment. Potentially, depending on where the admissions committee is, that may be regarded as a badge of honor. A level of decorum should be maintained before, during, and after the application cycle when communicating with admissions faculty and staff. Use designated and appropriate lines of contact, including provided email addresses, phone numbers, official social media accounts. Do not use social media to direct message admission officials' personal accounts. In conclusion, ultimately, we are in a public space when we use social media and with sharing, the timing of any given post is undefined and indefinite. The reach is far and the reach is, is permanent. We'll keep the one-on-one, in-person clinical encounters to treat our patients, but we can go on to have an even greater public health and educational impact online. There are many positives of social media uses for healthcare professionals. There are lifelong learning opportunities and academic sharing and public health opportunities. This is an invitation to communicate and to share these ideas. As technology advances, social media guidelines will be modified. However, the underlying principles of professionalism will remain, whatever professionalism truly means to us at that point in time. Best practices will emerge and outpace the guidelines, but if they are best, they should maintain and even enhance the public's trust in healthcare professionals. And in moving beyond the starting point, we note that there is no end to the need for professionalism and doing good. What are your thoughts about your social media presence? How do you feel about the things you post, the social initiatives you engage with? Are you proud of your social media presence? Is there anything that you'd like to change? I would look forward to hearing from you. You can shoot me an email. Stephen Bradley MD is my email address. I'm also on Instagram, Stephen Bradley MD, and on Twitter as well. Thank you so much for listening to Ethically Sourced. Tune in Monday where we're going to hear from another incredible person who is uh, doing big things, coming out of medical school, leading the largest national organization uh, that promotes the interest of minority students in healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll chat with you later.